Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The shark bait has such teeth there. And it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath. And it keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bites You are better researched on this subject than we are. Do you like a conspiracy theory, though, in general? Is it something that appeals to you? I don't particularly like a conspiracy theory, but I I like hard evidence, I like facts. Like with boxing, I like to look at stats and facts and who's beat who. And I know that whoever's beat whoever on paper doesn't mean that they can win. But I just like to look at knockout ratios, wins, losses, weights. And, um, you know, I take that with everything I do. And that includes my investigation into flat earth and holistic health as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm currently eating a fully plant-based raw food diet. And my body's alkaline. And there's, there's things out there that, that are banned, like vitamin B17, which, which has direct um, healing properties to cancer. We know that cannabis oil, and because so, they're releasing CBD, and we know that THC in cannabis has got direct links to curing many diseases. It's been proven now, and that companies that started up now and floating the market are making an absolute fortune. I'm talking hundreds of millions bringing cannabis into the market is legalized. I was in Vegas last week and all I can do is smell weed all the way around the casinos because it's legal. Why Why has it been illegal for so many years? Because you can't patent it because it's a plant anybody can grow it. Um, but now all of a sudden they're getting used to the idea that actually we know what to do with this now. We know how to tax it. So now cannabis is good for you. But why are certain things banned? B17, you know, cannabis. Why is it banned? Why have the government banned it? I don't want to say too much because you start opening up too much of a conspiracy can of worms. There's something going on but do your own research. Yeah, I choose we to get live. took out. I choose to, yeah, we might get took out. I mean, who was it the other day giving an interview about a, a documentary, Nipsey Hussle, talking about a holistic doctor that cured AIDS that beat the state in court, proven that he cured it. He got took out while he was making a documentary. Look it up. What was the doctor's name? Dr. Sebi. Dr. Sebi. He's now dead. Did he get killed? 
We don't know. Draw your own conclusion. Nipsey Hussle was talking about that. In fact, I've got to stop what I'm saying here. <laughs> we might have to, might have to stop this. Nipsey Hussle, Nipsey Hussle's now dead. And he was talking about that. He was going to make a documentary. He's gone now. All I'm saying is, is something a bit weird going off. Whether it's right or wrong or whether it's a mad opinion. But no, I don't think we've been to the moon. I don't think man went to the moon. But you can ask a lot of people, have we been to the moon? And what do you think we've been to the moon, Andy? Well... I can see why people think that there is an argument for a conspiracy there, because the evidence, particularly as we get further and further away from the event, is much easier to question. But definitively, I think it's very difficult to prove it one way or the other. There's no evidence that they've been there. They've lost all the bloody... They've lost all the... All the Are you... from? all the data they don't have the technology anymore to go to the moon in, in 2019 but they had it in 2019 I, th- I think your willingness to question all of this is it, it kind of it's quite illuminating for the for the sort of person you are and it does explain maybe the way you approach things when you were boxing you talked earlier on about your black book where you would document everything and you talked about liking facts mm. and liking things that you can yeah. look at with your own eyes I heard somebody describe boxing um, in a book I read recently as being a naked eye universe. And what they meant by that was that it's one of those sports particularly where you can really only trust what you can see. Mm. Are you that kind of a person? Basically, when it came to to your training, when it came to your nutrition, when it came to anything, you wanted to see the results for your own eyes and you would decide what happened. Listen, my eyes, including my third eye, is fully open. What I mean by that is my pineal gland is no longer calcified by fluoride. The fluoride that you drink every day in your tap water. I've defluoridated my cal- and decalcified my pineal gland. Look into it. It's in your tap water. The government put it in there. I'm, I'm, I'm playing with fire again, aren't I? But it's true. Look it up. Look up the pineal gland. P-I-N-E-A-L. Have a look what fluoride does to it. Every time you turn your tap on and drink it, you're calcifying the pineal gland. That is your third eye. That is your subconscious. I am spiritually free without sounding like a lunatic. I do meditate. I do visualize things that happen, eventually happen. And I use it as motivation. I use it as drive. At the minute, I'm using it to, to expand my empire with my older brother, Lee, who is also on the same mission that I'm on in the holistic world of conspiracies and madness, if you want to call it, and flat earth. But we're happy, we're awake, and we're enjoying life. And I think you should join the club. Matt Macklin's nearly there. Matt Macklin is on the fence. He's in sobriety. I don't think he'll mind me saying this. And he is, he is waking up. I'm awake. My brother's awake. I've got many friends that are awake. And uh, the more people that get there, the better, as far as I'm concerned. But the masses are asleep. Well, we're not going to keep you for much longer, John. This has been tremendously entertaining. But let's just finish with... I don't, know, I don't know how easy it is to answer these kinds of questions. But given all the things that you've experienced in boxing so far, what would you say... Is the strangest thing that has happened to you? Um, Wally Dixon. Do you know Wally? I don't. This absolute fucking lunatic from Manchester. He used to work with Pat Barrett. He's about five foot two. He's got to be in his 70s. Um, curly Pearl. the idea that the strangest thing that's happened to him in boxing He's an absolute ringer for that guy who sings that song. What Joe is Cocker. Yeah, yeah, Joe yeah. Cocker. Well, anyway, and it... Like, it's, it's not one thing, it was working for Wally. I remember one show, it's all going wrong, and the border control officials are looking for him, for their wages. And I'm watching from the other side of the room, and they're like, he's walking fast, 
and there's three of them walking behind him. Wally, Wally. And he disappeared into a room and they've all followed him in. I seen a side door on the other side of the room. I'm in the arena. And he come out and started sneaking along the wall. And I'm like, where's he going? And then they come out and they're actively chasing him around the venue for their wages. <laughs> so I'm standing there and I'm thinking, this is fucking brilliant. This is, he's crazy, Wally. Do you know what I mean? And then as he got out the exit door and he actually got out the exit door and made a run for it, I suddenly realised I didn't have my wages. I was the matchmaker for the show. So I was like, shit. And I went to run out the door and then I thought, hang about. I'm not joining in this fucking absolute lunacy and chasing Wally Dixon around the car park. So three weeks later, I'm like, whoa, I really need me money, mate. I just, can I have me matching money? I've done the matching. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it, Peggy. I'm uh, just waiting for so-and-so to bring... You're not going to get ticket money off a boxer three weeks later. It's gone. Just pay me. So he says, right, come up to Manchester. I thought, I want me 300 quid. So I drove up to Manchester and he says... Come off at Junction 18. I thought, Junction 18, that's not Manchester. Come off there. He said, there's a lay boy. I says, oh, okay. And this is like 11 o'clock on the night. I want him my money. So I pull into the lay boy. And there's no cars. And like I said, I'm a bit of a catastrophizer. I'm thinking, there's something going on here. They're going to rob me car. Or I've got no money, so they can't nick that. Thought, What's going on here? And I got a text, are you there? And I says, yeah, I'm there. Where are you? He says, I'm here. I was like, but you're not here. <laughs> It's pitch black. And I've drove from the motorway and there's no garages. And and next thing I know, this Joe Cocker lookalike comes up next to my door. You're right, kid. I was like, where have you just come from? He says, oh, oh, here's your money. Give me an envelope. And just scurried off into the night. And I've, I've seen him at one event since. But that was like, and I was like, and I was quite new to boxing then. I was like, oh, my God. Is this how this works? Joe Cocker lookalikes pop up at the side of your car in the dark at the side of motorways to give you money and then disappear and you don't know where they've gone. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> that was the start and it never got any easier. Okay, so one more then. What What's the most memorable thing that's happened to you so far? Easily, by far, the it was a night. It was the night Frankie Gavin for Sam. Uh, it was in Birmingham, sold out arena. I got my friends on commentary. I've got everyone there. We'd been wrote off. We weren't meant to win. We started the night. Don Broaders beat someone after an injury that had drew with him before and was on a real high Lewis Norman. Then Craig went in. And even though we was confident, totally wrote off. And Craig turned over. We had a couple of kids on the undercard. There was good money for the whole team. The crowd's going crazy. Then we walk out to probably the biggest grudge match we've ever had. I've been getting stick and, you know, I've been taking the flak for Sam to keep it from him. And to finish that night with a win is perfect. But to finish it with a win that was so, so satisfying. Even Max McCracken giving me a nudge on the back of the head couldn't bother me that night. I was like, who fucking cares? We got, we've had the best night ever. And then, like, we had a corner and I was meant to be doing the cuts in it. And I was literally, I'm not joking, I was in a daze. Soggy went, oh, you just stay here. I was on it. And people say that bullshit. I, was in a, I actually was in a daze because I didn't, didn't go and do Frenchie's Corner because I was actually sitting in the dressing room in drunk, a daze. Drunk? Not, not, yeah, yeah. not on alcohol, yeah. just drunk on emotion. Yeah, and like, I couldn't think straight and it, people are getting me for interviews and I was thinking, God, them interviews are going to be awful because I can't remember. Anything. So by far the best night of... The, you know, best uh, boxing-wise, best night ever of my life. Probably in the top three. You know what I mean? 
Okay, great. Well, it's it's always good to hear people admit that they usually kind of qualify. You have qualified it to an extent with top three, but that that's you know it, that trip but, to King's Eve's got to be in the top three when you're looking for me. Seeing you, <laughs> seeing you dancing with no oh, top. Oh, leave it no, 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 this podcast. Don't yeah, get yeah. any more detail than that. No, John. I think we should go to some more detail. <laughs> I was just going to wrap it up and leave it there. So this is your own fault. You've you, yeah. you've taken us down this road. So elaborate, please. Right. Okay. I'll I'll give you a very censured version. But Make sure it is. Yeah, I will. I will. Because Mrs. Macklin might beat me up, and you know, I, I don't want I don't want to fall foul of her. But basically, years ago, when the licensing laws were different, I used to have a dialer drink service because I don't drink and because I drive and because I don't sleep much where basically when people are finished at the pub they can ring me up and I'd drop them some beer and you know they could get carry on partying well Matthew rings me I don't think he was in camp but I was, he was in between camps get over to King's Eve I was like oh, I don't really go that far it's because of you I will so I got there with some some crates of alcohol and that when he was a bit more of a party lad and I'm knocking doors and I'm like oh, Three in the morning. Twenty minutes on there, and uh, I'm just about to get back in my car and leave and go home. And an alleyway, there's a noise. You know them houses where they got the alleyways, the joint alleyways. And he's standing in his pants, doing some kind of shadow boxing Irish jig hybrid, <laughs> saying to me, "Where the fuck have you been?" So I just give him the beer. And I says, just pay me tomorrow because I don't want to know where you're keeping your money at the moment. I want to go home. Yeah, and I'll see you later. And he's just like, ah, and I turn my phone off at that point. So, yeah, so that, that's probably in the top five, to be honest. You know, it makes it. But that's, 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 it's not just boxing with me and him. There's the stories, the stories like, yeah, the, 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 yeah. He's going to say when he beat me at chess. That's where you were going, mate. Now, do, do you want to know the best story while we're on it? Bored me. He bores me into beating me. You know these guys that takes ten minutes for a move. It's like in the end, I just lose concentration. You know, play chess. You know when you play chess. No, no, I'll give you a story that you. you right, I'm over in Ireland, yeah, and um, he just boxed and he won, won well, and there's an after party, and I'm invited, but I'm I'm not a drinker, so I'm just always watching. And uh, they had the famous movie star, uh, Samantha Mumba, who's gorgeous. You know, do you remember her? Well, she's the, the singer, so she's back at the hotel. No, I'm sitting there, he's single at the time, and she's all over him. All over him. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh my God, Matt's pulled Samantha Mumba. Go on. So I'm having a chat. This fucking moron is that drunk... And that much celebrating, she actually got bored and left because he was round the corner having a bromance with John Duddy. <laughs> I'm not even joking. This film star, pop star, who, who's is all over him and got the hot for him, and he's too busy talking boxing and, and Irish stuff, round the corner when John Duddy, she left, and I told him, oh, yeah, yeah, never mind. And I was just sitting there stone cold sober thinking, what a mug. <laughs> And John Duddy never even gave him a call back either, so that was a waste. Hey, hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. 
It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! Well, take us back to the beginning then, because you are now, whether you like it or not, or whether you would admit it or not, you are the the kind of modern voice and face of boxing coverage of the boxing media. We were stood outside Houston waiting for you, Matt, for two minutes, um, and a couple of lads came up and wanted a photo taken with Coogan, because that's the kind of market penetration. Because Andy wouldn't take the photo with him, so they said, (laughs) I will have Coogan instead. (laughs) Absolutely not the case. Andy's the voice, sure the face. (laughs) They, they, They thought I was his bag carrier. No, that's definitely what happened there. But serious point, you are, because the digital boom and the creation of the online platform seem to open up kind of infinite space and, and, and possibilities. It meant that anybody could go out there and start a channel. And that's true, anybody could do it. But you then have to attract an audience. And that's really, really hard. And if you want to make something a business, a startup essentially, and monetize it, You've got to attract advertising. You've got to keep people happy if they've invested. It's very difficult to get an audience and to keep it. So when you had the idea, where did it all come from? What was the what was the plan? The, the, the mad thing was, when we actually started, it was, had nothing to do with boxing. It was like the idea originally, which was 2010, October, the, the idea wasn't centred around boxing. Um, it was kind of centred around... Uh, reality TV stuff, low budget British films, the music scene, all that kind of stuff. It took us probably four or five months to start on the boxing circuit, but then that was actually the first show we done was a Ricky Hatton show um, in Bolton, and Matthew Hatton was fighting for the European title at the time. And uh, from that point, we just literally started. It wasn't week in, week out. It was probably one every two weeks or something. You've got to remember where British boxing was nine years ago. It wasn't the place it was now, where we're having like two, three shows a week sometimes. So that was kind of the start. And then gradually, as time was going on, the more boxing was kind of blooming in the UK, we were kind of a part of that and just made sure we were everything. And that was the key to make sure that you did everything whether that was the smaller stuff or the bigger stuff just make sure you were everything and it took time like I'll just give you a rough idea I mean it took us a whole year to reach one million views and I remember reaching one million views and thinking God what do we do now not we've cracked it but we've hit a million views this is brilliant but now from then to now where we're averaging maybe three or four million views a week, depending on what's going on in that month. But from that stage to this stage, it's quite—I say incredible—but it just it has a lot to do with kind of the rise of British boxing as well as putting in the time as well. No, no it is incredible, and I mean, it, even going back before that, and when I, we first uh, met each other, Coogan, back in two thousand and nine out in Las Vegas yeah. at the Pacquiao-Hatton fight. Uh, you were really a minder for Ricky Hatton at the time. You were kind of his friend, his minder. You were going around making sure he wasn't getting harassed or nosed, you know, in the casinos during fight camp, really. And, uh, of course, the next day after the Pacquiao, I've turned up, no phone, 
No denture. False teeth gone. I no, sense a story. No recollection, yeah. of, the sense story. No recollection of the night before. But we've, we've all moved on from them days. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it has been pretty incredible, really. And, and like you say, there's a, there's, there is the digital boom. And, and the fact that you were on everything, like you said, on every single level, level I suppose you get to the point where you, you, you were almost the go-to sort of th- authority if you wanted to hear what was happening you 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 know, you know that it might not be on sky or it might be on bt everything's kind of filtered but you weren't aligned or you know allied with anyone you were just on everything and 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 then you know you were kind of impartial in that sense as well and then people think well you know we're gonna if there's something happening in the boxing world certainly in the uk at that point you, you and uh you, you, ifl was really and you you in particular was, was the go-to mm. person yeah, funnily enough, I was actually talking to Ricky Hatton about this because it was more or less 10 years ago in May where the fight with Pacquiao was. And I was in camp with Ricky for maybe three months, like a good 10 weeks in Vegas. And uh, yeah, that's where we met. I met a lot of people, actually, um, yourself and Joe Gallagher, uh, Joe Murray, John Murray, little Sammy Campbell. Everyone who was out there, kind of, that was my first time around people kind of f- for that time. And... Uh, I wish I was doing IFL then because I would have got some fucking great. Can you swear on this or not? <laughs> not I'm really. Glad you, I'm glad you weren't. <laughs> All right. No, it's okay. Say what you like. Say what you like. No, but I'm. I, you know, I think to myself, like, I was in camp. Imagine like the footage. We only started like literally a year after that, but it's things are about timing, and uh, that was good experience for me. And walked Ricky Hatton out of to his fight with Manny Pacquiao. And, you know, people look at him and go, "How was you a mind that?" And I go, "Look, he come home safe." That's my. That's all I say. He come home in one piece. I couldn't do anything for him in the ring, but he, he come home in one piece. But it was more a case of Ricky wanted someone with him, kind of all the time. And um, I think at the time, obviously Paul Speak was or is Ricky's uh, agent and was always kind of busy. But there was a lot of things going on for such a big fight that they asked me to come out there. And why wouldn't I go out there? You know, I wouldn't. Have ever got that opportunity anywhere else? But did that opportunity kind of give you the appetite to get involved more? No, in boxing? it had nothing to do with it. it. Didn't that that time in Vegas with Ricky had nothing really to do with what we started because, as I said, what we started hadn't uh, really had anything to do with boxing. It was just a thing that kind of just transpired show after show after show, and now it's to a point, and it has a lot to do with where British boxing was because nine nine years ago. British boxing weren't really in a in a brilliant place. Uh, I wouldn't have thought. So I remember kind of Eddie Hearn putting on a show with uh, Lee Purdy and Colin Lyons for the British title. I went to that. That was yeah. the first ever show I, what I what covered the show for Sky. Called. I can't remember what the it was title on a Wednesday was night at your call. Yeah, and I remember was... we always refer to that because I always say to Eddie, "Remember, I was there at that show," and it was like no one really even knew who Eddie Hearn was then. Do you know what I mean? It's like and that was kind of that was your Saturday night fight night and that was to a certain degree as good as it was getting for regular Saturday night fights or I know this was in the midweek but same kind of thing this is my privilege now I can do that it's not necessarily for me to take the fighter from the very beginning I can just look at the situation in rating and think okay okay we've got Richard Comey we've got this guy that guy I can make that happen let me call that promoter so now I think strategically because I learned about this business. so. Do you think there's a kind of bond between fellow countrymen working in the same 
in the same business is the fact that you're Russian and does that make dealing with other Russians easier? Because people might assume that it does, but often it doesn't. You know, it doesn't. Minor differences can be a big, big problem, can't they? Rivalries, which part of the country you're from, they might be more suspicious of you, if anything. Fantastic. You know, Andy is very intuitive. He asked me the question. Andrei Rybinsky, I was banned for two years from Russia for being Al Heyman's agent spy. Was that true? I never met Al Heyman. I never seen him in my life. <laughs> let, let me tell you, they said, this guy speaks very good English. He doesn't look Russian. He lives in the UK and he's with English promoters. What is he doing in Russian? Huh? <laughs> and he's called Al Siesta. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's like a guy out of a James Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, what is he doing on our Russian shows? Why are we seeing him here? Why is he talking to the fighters? Why fighters are smiling back to him? Why everyone signing contract? Why, because I, I've done matchmaking for Rybinsky twice. And the lady who works for Rybinsky, director of boxing, she asked me, she said, Al, could you tell me something? Why are fighters so easy with you? Why are you bringing contracts signed? Why is it so quickly? Why are you doing everything so quickly? Is there financial interest? I'm saying, possibly, but you know about that financial interest. I told you how much I'm getting. She goes, is anything beyond that? I'm saying, I don't know. They're so paranoid. They were so paranoid to see me there. So I was banned for one season not to come to Russian shows. That's, we're talking about Rybinsky shows. And in fact, me and World of Boxing, we're a bit of a nemesis in a good way. So... So they're around this weekend, aren't they? They are, with, with 100%. Perfection. They are. This is another bridge to make again, to mend. So we had <laughs> a healing weekend for Al. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you see them across the foyer and you kind of exchange looks and it's like a Western? It's like No, a but you see, the thing is, because I can't, I've got, man, we come with peace. <laughs> I bring love. And fighters in Russia know me and Alex Pavet can get on very well. I, I've got great relationship with most of the fighters, which doesn't mean I've got great relationship with their managers and promoters. But with World of Boxing, I'm trying to mend that relationship. I've got great re relationship with Titovs and, World of, uh, and um, Russian Copper Company and Titov Boxing and some other promoters. World of Boxing is something we're trying to mend and it's going in the right direction. It's going in the right direction, so it's all, it's all moving, you know? It's such interesting stuff. I, I've always really enjoyed seeing Russians, Ukrainians, the Eastern European crews around fight weeks because they just bring something a bit different. You look at Povetkin and his team and they're just a bit different to Lomachenko's. Lomachenko's are quite, are quite smiley, are quite, are quite fun. Povetkin's may well be as well, but in public they are stupid. Done. And it's even the gear as well, the track suits, you know, everything about them is just, I look at them and just think, whoa, yeah, they, they look it, serious. They fellas. look pretty stone-faced, don't they? Almost <laughs> like the old, almost like it's the old USSR boxing team coming to town. That's what it seems like. Oh, man. It, they, they, they are, they are. They're nice guys. But Pavetkin himself is an absolute gentleman. Very humble, loveliest guy. Really, really nice guy. The team around is all image, all Cold War. It's just, you see the cliche of that. I mean, yeah, that's what yeah, yeah. talking about. It's almost like it's almost stereotypical. Exactly, it's, exactly. It just hits that perfect stereotype yeah. that we all presume. They have to have the haircut as well. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, Max, you don't have to do that. <laughs> do you know? Is that on their part? Is that slightly deliberate? Do they do they know that that kind of gives off this kind of aura? Are they different behind it's, closed doors? It's just is like, it all game face? I, I, 
I think it's just the Eastern European culture, maybe. I mean, just whilst you get to know them, they're very warm people. But at the beginning, when you don't know each other, it's almost like the less you smile, the more macho you are. Do you know, it's a really weird thing. It's almost like a smiling and being polite is a sign of weakness, I think, maybe. Not for me, because my father is Armenian, hence the David Avanisianis link. But in Armenian culture, we're very Mediterranean. We're very, like, very huggy and kissy and all very happy. But Russians are a bit cold, but they're very nice people behind so in Chelebinsk in Kovalev Yard Umar from IFL said to me the people are incredible everything I've been told before is absolute bollocks it's I'm having a great time it's very they're very very nice people we are very warm Russians but when it comes to official ceremonies and the government meetings this cliche kicks in as Matt pointed out so I think I think that's what it's, that's what it is <laughs> So in terms of the governing bodies, you mentioned the WBC a little bit earlier. That, that's an important relationship to try and engender with, with any of those four if you're, if you're in the position that you're in. And again, boxing being the unique sport that it is, they all have their own rules and they, they can all essentially do whatever they like. How do you find dealing with them? WBC is my family. I tell you why, because of Myris Bredis and the chances they gave me with build him and make him a world champion so Maurice is a good close friend of mine we're same age believe me or not so we just get on very well and but I didn't narrow down myself just to one governing body because I realize I like it or don't like it there's four of them the big ones and I need to have a great relationship with everyone so I work very closely with IBF I work closely with WBO I love WBA because um, Gilberto Mendoza is a maverick and <laughs> he's, he's a maverick, as you know, a very interesting guy. And I've got great relationship with the European office, but I've never done a WBA title yet. In fact, I've done one uh, all throughout my career in boxing. But I work closely with WBC, IBF and WBO, do regular titles and keep very good relationship with them. Respect their rules and regulations and they are developing they are developing. We're all developing because I think boxing gets cleaner. I mean, arguably, people say it's a dirty sport, but I do believe new, like a doping legislation's in, and we're talking more social media, helping to expose certain things, and it will be harder and harder and harder to be dirty and be dark in the sport. And I think the evolution of the sport amongst fighters, managers, promoters, and the governing body one day will bring us to that ultimate apogee of a clean and divine sport I'm hoping I'm not sure if it will be in our generation but I mean I think I think everything everything is developing in the right direction you were both boxers and now you've stepped through the other side of the ropes to the media side of it and I just wanted to see how you found that transition what you enjoy about it what you don't enjoy about it how long it took you to adjust to it and just what your thoughts are on the whole thing in general, because I'm a career journalist, so it's different for me. I knew what I was getting myself into, and I come from a different kind of, of background. But having been a participant, to go from that, to go from being the one who's talked about to being the one who does the talking, not that many people can do it, firstly. And secondly, there are definitely frustrations uh, attached to it, I would, I would imagine. So, Matt, we're fairly, we're fairly familiar with, with your kind of segue from, from boxing into, into the media world. We'll touch on it still, though, but Barry, 
Less so with yours, probably, because your, and yours was different too. So just talk us yeah. through it. How did it, how did well, it happen? Mine was, it was an accident because I sort of had my last fight in January 2000 and I pretty much disappeared from the sport. Not that I was a prominent name or anything, but yeah, I sort of stayed away, which I think you sort of have to, otherwise you want to come back. Boxing's addictive. And yeah, it was just literally by chance. I mean, total fluke. It, um, Box Nation had just started. I was doing a job. I was doing security for Britain's Got Talent, the X Factors. I know you're looking at me thinking, how can a midget do security? But I was more of an usher. <laughs> but <laughs> to be honest, I think my, my title was The Caretaker. Make, make me sound dangerous, like a movie. <laughs> but yeah, and, and that was it. And then my, a friend of mine was a friend of Steve Bunce's, and he had um, the Bunce's boxing hour. And at the time, he was literally getting so obscure fighters from the 90s, which what means that is he was getting anyone who didn't have to pay as a guest. And my friend was nagging me to come on the show, and I didn't want to do it, because you know, once you've had your little 15 minutes, however big that 15 minutes is, to go back into that and then go back to your normal life again, it sort of destroys your soul, do you know what I mean? Because like, like, I've been sort of like, I had my little 15 minutes of notoriety, and then I had to go and get a job. And it's hard, you know, to, to adjust to a normal life of mediocrity in many ways, which is nothing wrong with that, but where you've been had people calling your name, whether it's 500 or 5,000 or 50,000, it's still the buzz you can never replace, and you'll know that, Matthew, of course. But then to sort of put that behind you, and then I even have like five minutes back on telly and, and, and go back to it, I thought, I can't do that to myself. But I did. He nagged me, nagged me, and then Steve didn't care I was on the show, but a friend, of, and I went on the show, and I talked quite a lot, as you'll find out in, in this next four hours of this podcast, and and then the producer, um, Jim Bentley, asked me to come back as a, as a pundit. And I came back as a pundit and uh, yeah, enjoyed it. Did an okay job, not great, I don't think. Came back again for Nathan Cleverly versus defending his world title versus who cares who that was. It was one of those fights. And, and I thought that was me done. And then I got a shot, a shot at doing the punditry again for Ricky Burns in, in the April of... What's this, maybe 2012, 2013? Paulus Moses, the WBO lightweight title. Turned up on the night in Glasgow to be a pundit, only to find out I was commentating. And I was like, what do you mean I'm commentating? Yeah, you're going to commentate with, with a fellow called Alex Steamer. I never met Alex Steamer before. He's a real good, good at his job and a lovely guy. And I almost said no. And I was angry. Because I thought, well, what am I going to do now? This is, I can't just go and talk about... I, being a pundit is relatively simple because you just talk two minutes before a fight, maybe five minutes after a fight. You get time to digest it and you can think what you're going to say. And, but being a commentator, as you know, Matt, more than anything, especially when you're not trained for it, it's totally different. And, yeah, and I did, did it that one night and I, I was, wasn't terrible, I don't think. I think that's, I wasn't terrible. I wasn't good, but I wasn't terrible. And that, that, was, that was the best thing that happened to me. And I almost said no, out of sort of like, a, I don't need this. I still had a job anyway. It wasn't, the money wasn't the factor for me. It wasn't my full-time job like it is now. And I just went, I'm not, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And then I, I, I think I phoned my missus and she sort of said, just have a go. If you don't like it, just don't come back again. And I did. And yeah, and that probably gave me the career that I have now or sort of career I have now. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios.
you're right though it, it is totally different commentating to to the pundit role and i obviously i think that the commentary gig is the best one for, for, for you lads i'm i'm i do the blow by blow and and you you do the analysis and i always say to people who come into it afresh i say listen if you, if you if you fancy the commentary side of it let people know because it's the best gig we get to talk about things and can i stop more you can i stop i you? know what you're going to say right stop telling boxers yeah. to be commentators <laughs> because everyone's a rival you're not scared of competition. I'm not scared of competition. Barry Jones isn't scared of competition. No, I'm not scared of competition until like a big name turns up and then you're gone. But but the thing is, not everybody can do it. it it's one of those skills where... More than ever before. Boxers now are more articulate than you've ever seen. They really are. I could, I can list, I could list maybe five off the top of my head now who are still fighting, who I think would make, obviously, easily easy make good pundits, but I think would make good cool commentary. But it's not just about that, though, is it? You need to stay current and stay plugged into the scene and know, and know what's yeah. going on. Do, do some homework. That, that is important. Some people do it, some people don't do it. And I reckon I can spot the ones who do it and the ones who don't. Yeah, of course. And, and also, being a big name and being, and, be, and being in big fights don't always make you... If anything, it can probably work against you because when you like, say Joe Calzaghe, what a fighter! I, I love Joe with all my heart, and he can be a good pundit. I think he'd be a terrible commentator because he would just be too critical. I'm not, I'm not slagging Joe off, I don't mean that, but he would be too critical. Like you were a fantastic fighter, but you sort of understood that you 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 got up, you went up against better fighters, not massively better, but you know, like Golovkin and Martinez, brilliant fighters. Who, so you understand you know, that little extra step, and you can just, you can understand. No, this is it's, it's more than just this, this, this. It's more than just that. It's not just a like I just turn up and do my job. You have to sort of break it down a little bit and and and, and also be in awe of some of the beauty, like you did Lomachenko the other week. So you, as much as you're watching and you have to do your job, you can't help but sit there thinking, oh, what's this like? This is like the closest thing to porn without <laughs> without the, without the porn, isn't it? You know, if you're a massive boxing fan, it, I've done Lomachenko's fights. You know, I've done lots of them. And then I just you just go and go. Well, I wouldn't give to be like this. I think um, the punditry and the co-commentating roles are very different. And I I, I got to see that. Um, During my career, I think I was being groomed by Sky. Sounds bad, doesn't it? Groomed. But I've been (laughs) groomed by Sky to be... To to be be, involved after my career. I was... Whenever there was, um, you know, previewing shows, they'd bring me down, breaking up fights, they enjoyed my analysis they said I went to good detail and, and articulated it quite well so there was I got a couple of runs at doing the co-commentating the um, Amir Khan against Lamont Peterson in Washington oh, wow. DC I was over I was living in New York at the time I'd signed with the Bella after the Sturm fight and I was uh, I was you know going to be fighting Sergio Martinez in the March but this fight was before Christmas and they used me as one of the co-commentators alongside uh, Jim Watt and Ian Dark. Now, when they came to the Frotch Andre Ward fight, I was still there and they still used me for some of the build up, but they didn't want, they just said, look, you know, this fight would rather just keep it the two because three yeah. can get a bit crowded, especially on a big fight like that. You, you, can, you don't want to be talking over each other and that. So, you know, I, I had tasted it, I had touched on it, I'd, I'd uh, experienced it, but certainly sitting in the studio before or after, breaking a fight up, breaking it, giving my analysis afterwards. I found that so easy. You know, you just talk about what, how I think the fight's going to go and, and like you say, afterwards, he should have done this, he should have done that. This is where he goes from now, this type of thing. Very, very easy. But I did find the uh, co-commentating initially, and I, uh, probably about, what, two years ago now, started doing it yeah. quite regularly for Sky. 
initially, and, and, and it didn't take me long, but for a few, I just thought, oh, this is a different skill. You know, you're, you're commentating as it's happening. You're trying to kind of predict where you see the fight going, what the other guy needs to be doing, what he needs to watch out for, yeah. maybe what the cornerman should be saying him. Then you, you're trying to keep a track on who's winning the rounds. I mean, there's been, there's been times I've been ringside and I've had the earpiece come in, Ed Robinson saying, who'd you give that round to? And I'm thinking, I haven't got a clue. I, don't, I, haven't, don't, don't, I haven't even listen, scored it. You're not on your own. I haven't own. even scored it. Be, be, I, can't, when, I can't keep going 10-10. Because once so, you digest about it, <laughs> once you digest that you have to, like I'm from a, a Cardiff, I've, I've lived up in sort of this area for, for 20 years now, but I'm a Cardiff boy and I haven't lost my accent one bit. So it's a fast accent. And also being a boxer, you mumble and it just naturally mumble. And obviously with our noses, when you, you know, if you, if the air conditioning, if well, you're you know, in America. I, I've been blessed with a Birmingham accent, so that's not, that's not high up on the uh, most I only, sort I only, brought, I only brought mine up so we could get to yours, really. <laughs> you know, when recently I was served with a lawsuit, which, which was quite public. I got it at 4 a.m. I'm not going to tell you where I was, but, but, but I wasn't in the state to fucking answer it. I'll tell you that now. So I've just called up my lawyer. Oi. I said, am I being fucking sued? I said, I said why the fuck am I finding that off Twitter? I'm serious. I'm like... So then I deleted the app. I was like, fucking shit, come on. I'm really sweating. Sorry, but it was that way. It was one of those moments that, you know, I was, uh, wasn't too happy. It was, you got solved in four days. But still, you know, it, was, it, 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 it does. And I'll just answer the question myself. I mean, no, but I know what you're asking me. I think I know what you're asking me. And the, what, what I find fascinating is because I'm on the inside of it, yeah. I get to see things that are real and that are actually happening and speak yeah. to people like you and others. If I was just viewing it through the kind of prism of social media, I would feel like I knew what was going on probably, but actually you don't really know yeah. what's going on. It's all just hearsay and rumour, which, which is probably quite frustrating for you. Most of the stuff I read on Twitter, I follow a few people who are reliable and well-informed, and I only really pay attention to things when I actually know that they're happening. I'm not bothered about he might be fighting him or her when here. I'm not interested until yeah. it actually gets done. Yeah. And that's how it used to be. Yeah. Okay, but you're, far, you're, you're in the scene. So let's... But if you're a casual fan, right? So you know, we all work in, in the industry, it's in, in, in a certain sector of the industry. But if you're a fan, you've got that 360 picture now. That's what I find fascinating. Like, when I was a kid, I'd had, apart from that, those Sunday discussions that I could sort of put my ear to, I didn't know any of it. So I was like... Right, when's the next fight getting made? Oh, well, the KO magazine comes out, I'll read it in there, or, or boxing news is coming out, you know. But now it's like a, it's a t- so it's a, as a sport to follow. We don't get that in football. You like every hear, man and his dog has hear, got like, you feel you like hear. they're privy to the deal it's that's it, happening. Well, exactly, that's you, you feel part of it. And I remember the first time I did an interview with, uh, with Coogan Cassius on IFL. He came up to me. I never, it was actually Kester Frost who <laughs> talks about that a lot today. And I'm standing there. And Coog's a big guy, you know? And I, t- I think I'd seen him around Hatton days. So I'd definitely seen him before. But he walked up to me with a, with a camera, which I didn't even know could film things, and, and, and said, can I do an interview? So I looked at him and I thought, is this, like, is this, is this a wind-up or is it a bit of a laugh? So I'm standing there and I go, well, yeah. And then he sort of holds the camera in my face and I'm thinking, what is he doing now? And then he started asking me bizarre questions, like totally off the cuff. And I, I actually thought it was a joke. 
So I started answering them in a really jokey way. I'd love to see if I could actually see that. That was the first one I did. <laughs> it was half the interview. I was like, what, what is this? Yeah, what is this? You know, this is like, what is it? You know, I, I didn't have a Twitter account. I didn't know anything about Twitter. Eddie already had probably 100,000 followers. He was so far. Eddie was so far ahead on Ed, that one. Eddie changed the game Eddie, with social Eddie media. was the game he changer. He came in and was making fights uh, on Twitter. I remember like, the first what? thing. He goes, oh, you get yourself a Twitter account. I remember, I was like, do with that, you know, and but but so but the likes of Bob Arum and Frank Warren yeah, having heart no, attacks. No, yeah, 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 <laughs> He's no, just doing putting I mean, deals on the Frank table Frank on Twitter account now, but it's very clear it's not Frank who's writing those messages, you know. And and and, and I think, but I think Bob does a bit of his own. Yeah. It's a few crazy ones that must come must come from Bob, but um, but no, but 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 look at now the numbers that those 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 streamers are doing. I mean, Coogan. He's one of the funniest. I, like, I enjoy chatting with Coogan because I do let my... You, you sort of... It doesn't feel like a real... It feels like a chat. And, and I think this, this podcast thing is very dangerous for people like me who just start <laughs> fucking totally <laughs> losing it and ranting about things I should not be ranting about. And, uh, yeah, just good that we do it during the day and not in the evening. Yeah. Um, I never, ever will do a podcast at night. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Bring us all down with him. Pushing down the mic here, um, but but no, but, but but if we we just sorry go back to that point I was trying to make with uh, with IFL, they've come on like leaps and bounds. It's more important to do an interview with IFL than it is to do an interview with Sky Sports News. Almost, it's, it's crazy because they get yeah. great numbers. But it is it, but that. That whole generation, and so I'm putting it all in one pot, and I'm probably totally wrong on this because it's not really not. That's why I have for social media people who, they're all a bit, they're all a bit odd. The social media ones, I find. You know, sorry if you're listening. You know who I'm talking about. They do live in a bubble, and they and they're geniuses in their own right. Well, but a, but they're all nuts. It's a bit you know, like they're, this. They're nuts. They don't like they literally. Have you, have you if you watch? I don't know if it's me. Maybe I'm just too old school. But when you sit there. And someone's one-on-one with me at a lunch or a dinner, and he's just going through his timeline. I feel like picking up his fucking phone and just dropping it in, 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 in the water. You know? No, I'm and the same it, like it's, that. It's, it's, it's addictive. Yeah. My brother, my brother, for example, you go, watch my brother. He sits there. It's like he's attached to the phone with his head. Actually, Eddie's another good one. Eddie, Eddie's always on. But that is, that's a, that's, that is a certain mindset, and like I said before, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie was a game changer in terms of social media and boxing, and that that is a great thing. That's a great, been a great thing. I mean, uh, just got someone's got to teach me how to use that Instagram now. I've learned Twitter now. I've got to move on to Instagram. I mean, I think it was a game changer. I think Eddie was the one who certainly changed that game. But it's it's definitely a tool, isn't it? Now and we can't. No matter how old school you are, you can't. If you want to move with the change, move with the times, and you talk about the ever-changing landscape, you Matt, have to. Matt, if you, you were fighting, I was it. promoting you, and I was announcing a fight. How would I do it? I call my press guy, uh, and I'd say, "Right, this is the quote of Matthew. This is the challenger's quote. This is my quote. Put out a press release." You'd wait for the press release, and you'd hope that people pick up the press release. You'd call up people, or you'd get your your, 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 your media guy to call up people. You'd call the media guy and say, why is it not, why are they not fucking writing those stories? And the media guy would say, whoa, 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 I haven't spoken to them yet. I said, why are you fucking not on the fucking phone? <laughs> and, um, and that, and that, and that, <laughs> but it was true. I've done how many times I've done it, and I still do it now. And the guy goes, we haven't done a press release. I said, why are you not fucking done a press release? I said, because it's on social media. Ah, okay, right. 
It stopped it. It's killed off that whole press release it, thing. It's old is, now, isn't it? It's it, old school. You wouldn't a press release now. You sort of do as a you know as a formality almost. Does anyone? Oh fuck! I haven't read my own press release in about two years. You know why would I? You know and it, and is it? It's even enjoyable. With from, Donald Trump. Yeah. The, the president of America is never off Twitter. No, yeah, I mean, he's, he's interesting on Twitter, isn't he? He fucking, I'll tell you something, I, there's some fucking lunatics out there, but I tell you, you know, yeah, he is one fucking lunatic, I tell you. I, I, in fact, I'm, I follow him. I, 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 and, it, and, it, and it, we're diverging a bit from boxing here. Yeah. Don't worry yes, about he it. Is a, he is a big boxing fan, for, which was also worrying. My old man did a, did a photo shoot with him and Valoev. Uh, once and you know, I mean, listen, uh, you know, Boris Johnson's another fruitcake on Twitter. But you know, at the end of the day, you have all the everyone is out there, and it and it makes everything transparent. And boxing is just another part of that. I just think for our sport in particular, where you don't have, you know, in football you couldn't do that. You couldn't. You, first of all, contractually, the players aren't allowed to say shit, right? If they say anything, they get they get slapped from. Imagine, imagine, imagine. Del Boy was was a professional footballer. Can you imagine the fines from the club and from? Oh, the, he'd, he'd, be, he'd, he'd be permanently just, suspended. He'd be banned for seasons, you know. He'd be permanently so, suspended. <laughs> forget forget that, what he's actually done in a ring. As, as you say, the difference. Be playing to break even. But we're such an unregulated sport, full of a bunch of lunatics, right? Which we all are, whether it's fine. Fighters to promoters to agents, we're complete. Uh, we're a nut house, basically. We're a complete mad shop, and social media allows the world to see how fucking nuts we really are. But I think that's what makes it so great that's as what, well. That's what I'm, I think that's that what I'm people saying. love it because it's full of all these characters. Just, just yeah. oh, they do, they do. I, I, I covered football for a long time when I was coming up through radio. You, you, you had to. There was, the, mm. it was the biggest thing out there, and. And even in the time I did it over a course of 10 years, it really changed. That The access you got really changed. Uh, and all of a sudden, it seemed to be that you were kept away from players rather than have them made available to you. And then, and then I was always trying to get my foot in the door with boxing. And it's just a different world. Just a totally different world. And boxing is just so brilliantly indiscreet. And people will tell <laughs> each other anything when they're not supposed no, to. And then on Twitter, it's just like... It, like you say, for some people, it is just the worst possible thing because they probably don't even <laughs> yeah, realise it's a yeah. public forum yeah, and they'll yeah. have massive arguments yeah. on it all the time. Yeah. It's, and yeah. other sports don't do that. They're too worried about what other people think and boxing has never cared about that. It was Christmas Eve, babe. The Pogues. In the And a man said to me, I won't see another one. And then he sang a song. Beware, mounted you. Anyway, I have to do it. You gotta keep going. I turned my face away and dreamed about you. Got on a lucky one. Came in a ten to one. Someone sneaking round the corner. Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.